Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. And we're into extra time. No my whakarongo mai ki extra time called Clay Wilson TNA. This week we bring you all the latest from the Football World Cup in Russia. Who is in, who is out and who are the ones to watch from here. We also talk the resumption of Super Rugby, catch up with Kiwi cyclist George Bennett and we hear from Team New Zealand sailing star Blair Chuk after the completion of the Volvo Ocean Race. The dreams of 16 countries remain alive as 16 other nations jump on planes and head home from the Football World Cup in Russia. After an enthralling week of group games, fans of the beautiful game around the world are priming for what shapes as an equally exciting knockout phase. I'm joined now by Max Toll, one of the hosts of RNZ's Football World Cup podcast, Squeaky Bum Time, to get his thoughts on a few of the major talking points. So Max, I guess looking back on the group stages, a, a real shock with Germany not making it. Was there anything else that caught your eye? Uh, just how chaotic the whole group stage was, how unpredictable it was, the late drama, the crazy own goals, um, eight own goals actually so far at this World Cup, the most of any World Cup in history. Um, obviously video technology has played a major part in the tournament. Um there have been 24 penalties so far in this World Cup. The previous record for the whole of the tournament was 18 before this. Ten of those 24 were given after a, a video technology review. This is, of course, the first World Cup that uh, video technology is being used. And I think one of the defining narratives of the tournament so far has been the use of video technology. And it has been a source of controversy. Um, I think there was sort of this blind optimism coming in that, uh, you know, by introducing video technology, we were suddenly going to have, you know, uh, penalties being called correctly, dives being called out, yellow red cards, uh, everything was everything was going to fall perfectly into place. But that's just not really been the reality. And I think you see it in other sports that, that you know, video technology is what it is, but at the end of the day, it's still a human being standing in front of a screen making a decision, like any, you know, punter in the pub, basically. Um, so it, it will be interesting to see at future tournaments if uh, it, it's tweaked, if um, the, the nature of the referral is tweaked as well. At the moment, you've got four, I guess you'd call them uh, hoods or... Uh, um, for cardinals in a Moscow control room uh, with an earpiece to the referee, and they can they can tell him whether or not to refer anything. Uh, some decisions that look pretty obvious haven't been referred; others have. Uh, it's yeah, it has, it has been a little chaotic, and it's sort of summed up the tournament. Really, there've been twenty goals scored after the ninetieth minute. <laughs> the late drama has just been incredible. Um, and another, I'm just going to throw another factoid at you. Panama's goal this morning means that this is the first World Cup tournament in history in which every team has scored at least twice. And I think that also sums up the unpredictability of the tournament. Um, any any team on their day, except for Saudi Arabia, can basically beat any other team. 
Yes, the old VAR is certainly a polarising topic among football fans around the world. I guess moving on to another polarising topic in the England team, and a topic close to your heart, and a very interesting game this morning with Belgium, obviously with both teams already qualified. Um, I guess give us your thoughts on that and how England have performed so far and, and what's ahead for them and what you see happening with, with the English side. How has England performed so far? Well, we've had a last-minute winner against Tunisia in the first game after a a lightning-quick start and then them being pegged back and looking very nervy in the second half and just squeaking past a team they really should beat comfortably. Then they won their second game 6-1, the first time in 16 or 20 years, I think it is, that they've scored more than just two goals in a World Cup game. Um, So a very convincing display. Optimism abound, hopes raised, energy, enthusiasm, England fans expect. And then there was this morning's game against Belgium. And um, I I suppose uh, there is a, a narrative in this World Cup that there's an easy side of the draw and a difficult side of the draw. And there was talk coming into the game that both teams would be trying to, th- to deliberately lose the game um, so as to end up on the what is called the easy side of the draw. And that led to both teams basically putting out second string 11s. And, you know, the game this morning was pretty dire. Um, and... Basically, it was a battle of who wanted to lose it more, and I guess England wanted to lose it more. And, um, yeah, and, and now this energy and enthusiasm and, and optimism and positivity around this team has sort of switched a little bit, and it's sort of now about, oh, well, won't it just be calmer if we lose to Colombia in, in the round of 16? It'll just be our fault for not trying to win the game. It just speaks to the cynicism and, and fickle nature of the England supporters, I think. I guess there is going to be uh, seven other games in this round of 16. So casting your eye over those games, what are your predictions? What do we expect might happen? Yeah, there are only, just looking at the the round of 16 games, there are only two games which I think are easy to predict and that I think teams will win comfortably, and that would be France against Argentina. Argentina have been absolutely hopeless at this tournament so far. They haven't shown any interest in defending And they were very, very lucky to escape that group stage. And I think they're the type of team that France could run riot against. The fact that they don't defend, the fact that they've got their their fullbacks push way too high up the pitch and they leave gaping holes on the wings. You know, quick, the the quick young French players like um, Dembele and Mbappe and Griezmann, I think, will really have a field day against Argentina. So that's a clear that's a clear prediction in my book. And so is um, Belgium, Japan. Uh, Belgium, uh, they're just the the exact type of team that Japan just do not match up well against as well. Um, Romelu Lukaku, this big hulking six foot three centre forward, I think is going to have a field day against the Japanese defence. And Kevin De Bruyne in Hazard will come back. Belgium's two two best players, and I can't really see Japan. I put the over under at that victory at two and a half. I think <laughs> I'd be shocked if Belgium don't win it by uh, more uh, three goals or more. The other games are a lot harder to call, and could we could actually see a few nil all, one all penalty shootout type games. I think Uruguay Portugal will be very tight and low scoring. Uruguay have a great defence, so I'm going to pick them to win one nil or even by penalties. Um, Spain-Russia, actually in the podcast I predicted Russia to win that game which might be a bit foolish as Spain is starting to become a lot of team, a lot of fans' favourite to win the tournament but I think Russia could, could spark an upset Spain really haven't looked convincing at all 
Croatia to beat Denmark, that's fairly obvious. Brazil to beat Mexico. Mexico have gone out of the round of 16 in the last five World Cups in a row, so why spoil that run? Uh, Sweden, Switzerland. Let's go Switzerland. A slight upset. Um, Jordan Shakiri, uh, Granite Xhaka. They've got some good players, um, and uh, Sweden looked very unconvincing in their first uh, first couple of games. And the big one, Colombia, England. This all depends on whether I'm a positive, uh, you know, an optimist or a pessimist. And you know what? I'm going to be an optimist today and go England. Let's say two 0 I love the faith, and I'm sure, like other people, uh, we will track very carefully your prediction of Russia beating Spain. That's an interesting one, but I love the conviction. <laughs> anyway, Max, thanks very much for your time. Uh, that is Max Toll, who is one of the hosts of RNZ's Football World Cup podcast, Squeaky Bump Time. Following the June international window, the rugby focus returns to Super Rugby this weekend. There are three rounds remaining, and with the champion Crusaders more or less untouchable at the top, what will the rest of the playoffs picture look like in a few weeks with three other New Zealand sides in contention? Barry Guy and Joe Porter take a look at the scenarios. Joe, the most interesting thing it appears to me is that the break has probably helped most the Crusaders who are on top of the table and, you know have more or less set their, their place in the playoffs because in that break they've had their, their front row come back and play mm-hmm. for the All Blacks and Kieran Reid's on his way back and uh, the, you know the other fringe players in the All Blacks. And really it looks like it's almost this break has got them primed, ready to go straight into the, to the playoffs. Yeah, it's pretty hard to see anyone other than the Crusaders winning the Super Rugby title this year. They've been in such dominant form. They've won their last 10 games on the trot including a recent win over the French Barbarians, of course, during the break. Like you say, they've had all their all, a lot of their All Blacks that have been injured for various parts of the season came back and have played heaps of game time for the All Blacks, so are in top form again. And, and talismanic All Black skipper Kieran Reid is going to make a return before the end of the season too. So they've certainly things are looking good for the Cantabrians. Sorry, I should say the Crusaders, the Canterbury-based Crusaders. And Coach Scott Robertson is looking like he might get a second trophy in just a second year in charge. Two straight titles for the Crusaders. It's looking like they'll be hard to beat, I think. Yeah, they've got the bye uh, this weekend, but um, they've shown previously that even without their All Blacks, they've managed to win. They've got obviously got a strong squad. They play the Highlanders and the Blues in their last uh, two matches, and they really only need a point, if that at all, to you know secure that, that top spot. So they seem to be in prime position. So I suppose, do we then look at the... Um, other New Zealand teams, the Hurricanes, appear to have gone a little bit off the boil. They lost, lost their last couple of matches, and it seems a significant time for them if they're going to, you know, firstly uh, make sure of the playoffs and secondly get a home quarterfinal. Yeah, the break possibly didn't come at the best time, or maybe it did for the Hurricanes. You could call it one or the other, six of one, half a dozen. So. They had lost their two games going into the break, of course, going down to the Crusaders in that wet game in Christchurch where they were really outthought and outplayed and then beaten by the Highlanders in Dunedin in a game they really should have been up for. So slightly worrying signs for the Hurricanes that they're starting to fall off the pace a little bit at the business end of the season. However, maybe that break has helped them, I guess, relieve themselves of the pressure of those two losses and they can come back in refreshed against the Brumbies this weekend, who they should, of course, beat in Canberra. They should beat the Blues as well in their second-to-last game and then it comes down to the Chiefs in their final match, which hopefully by then they will have secured second place in the New Zealand Conference, fourth place in the wildcard spots in a home quarter-final and the Chiefs' result doesn't matter too much because if they have a lot of pressure on them going into that game, we, well, they won't, want, they won't want it, that's for sure. So I think the Hurricanes will still finish uh, second in the New Zealand Conference, but yeah, some worrying signs there that they're not hitting their straps at the right time of the year with recent losses to the Highlanders and, of course, the Crusaders. 
Yeah, just a reminder, of course, that the uh, the uh, conference winners finish first, second, and third. Yeah, so Crusaders right. sort of lines for the South Africans and Waratahs. maybe the Waratahs for uh, the uh, Australian conference. So they are going to get a home quarter final. Then in the middle, you've got like the Hurricanes, Highlanders, Chiefs. One of them possibly is going to get a home quarter final, and will then probably end up playing another New Zealand side. Yes. So they'll get knocked out in the first round of the quarterfinals. And then if you start slipping too far down the table, you've possibly then got to go to South Africa and beat the Lions um, over there. Um, so you know they're jostling for positions, but I suppose again that when you do get to the quarterfinals, that if you've got the solid sort of squad, no matter where you have to go, you've got to think that, you know, you've got a chance of winning. Yeah, and we saw the Highlanders a few years ago, they did just that, they had no home advantage throughout all the playoffs and went through and won the title, beating, uh, going over to Africa and then coming back and beating the Hurricanes in Wellington, so it can be done, however it makes it a lot more difficult no one wants to go all the way to Joburg to play the Lions at the altitude for a semi-final, and even if you do one, then have to come back to New Zealand to play the Crusaders in the final, like that's a pretty tough ask so, uh, interestingly enough the Hurricanes probably will finish fourth and get that wild card playoff home the quarterfinal. Then you've got the Highlanders and Chiefs who will probably be fifth or sixth in the finishing spots. Now, that's quite an interesting one because you'd almost rather finish sixth and fifth in this case, the Chiefs or Highlanders, because you would then place potentially the Waratahs or the Rebels over in Australia in the quarterfinals rather than the Hurricanes in Wellington. Probably an easier win there. And then you come back for your semi final. Who knows, either in Joburg maybe to carry on from Aussie, you might come back for the Crusaders or the Hurricanes. So <laughs> it's a tough one, but I think finishing sixth and, and not taking on the Hurricanes in that quarterfinal will probably be uh, of benefit to either the Chiefs or the Islanders. So that's an interesting one. I mean, do you, you run or finish higher up the table, but in this case, maybe not. Uh, the, the Blues, a quick mention for them. They've got uh, the Reds, and then they've got to play the oh, Hurricanes and the Crusaders. Crusaders. So <laughs> I don't think they're going to beat the Crusaders. No. Depending on what way, what direction the Hurricanes are going, yeah, that, yeah. that could be close. But, I mean, you know, Tanaru Munga, really, I mean, he's... <laughs> You know, can he can he get another five or six points out of that blue side over the last three, uh, three rounds? Well, their season's gone, so the motivation is lacking, I guess, in that sense. Uh, Jerome Kainor playing his last game at home tomorrow night for the Blues. Um, he's heading off to France, so 81 test all black. If you don't have motivation to send him off a winner from Eden Park, I don't know where you get it from. So they should beat the Reds tomorrow. There's a bit of a, you know, Tanner and Brad Thorne rivalry, I suppose, and and all the history that the, the Blues have against the Reds in the past. So you'd assume that, that they'd have the motivation to get up for that, but it'd be a tough ask for them to go down, uh, to, sorry, to beat the, the Hurricanes and the Crusaders, teams that are both vying, obviously, for first place in the competition, vying for that home quarterfinal. So a lot more to play for for them. So, yeah, you'd, you'd hope the Blues get up and beat the Reds and, and send Jerome off a winner from Eden Park, but I can't see them beating the Hurricanes or the Crusaders. Well, Joe, while we're all suffering in New Zealand with a you know cold and got colds and that sort of thing, the Chiefs and the Highlanders are in Suva and the heat over there for uh, their clash. Another opportunity for South Pacific to enjoy some Super Rugby. Hopefully, something will come in the future. But um, you know that's a that's a green, again a great initiative to be playing that game there. Yeah, and a, and a crunch match for both those sides. The Chiefs on 37 points, the Highlanders on 40, fighting for that wild card spot. Uh, yeah, whoever wins this game you'd think would probably go on to, to take fifth place rather than sixth. The, the Highlanders 
have a, a, a fairly tough run playing the Chiefs and the Crusaders, of course, in the, in the last three weeks of play, and the Chiefs play the Hurricanes and the Highlanders. So two tough New Zealand derbies for both those sides. We know how taxing they can be on the bodies. Um, so a tough run in for the Highlanders and Chiefs, and, and this weekend you'd think that the winner of this weekend's match might take the first foot forward leading to the playoffs because it will be a tough run to the end for them. And the Chiefs have played in Suva before. They played there last year. They're a little bit more used to the conditions. The Southerners have to come from Chile, Old Dunedin, all the way over to Suva. They don't even get there until Thursday this week. So it's, it might be a tough ask for them to acclimatise and, and beat a Chiefs side who are fired up, uh, who have played in those conditions before and probably um, have a little bit more on the line than the Highlanders do at this stage. Well, the resumption of Super Rugby also spells the end of the chapter for veteran blues flanker Jerome Kaino. With 81 tests for the All Blacks to his name, Kaino will play his final match at Eden Park when the Blues host the Reds in Auckland tonight. The 35-year-old is departing New Zealand at the end of the Super season to take up a contract with French club Toulouse. Kaino spoke with media this week about his farewell to Eden Park and started by admitting the significance of the occasion hadn't dawned on him just yet. Yeah, for me, uh, we've still got three games and um, yeah, there's been a lot of talk this week about my last game at Eden Park and yeah, it's a bit hard to think about it when um, you know there's so much going on. Uh, you know, for me, I've got the opportunity to be able to run out on the weekend, and um, you know, first and foremost is just to try and play well and, and get a result for the boys. Um, on reflection, maybe later on, I'll be able to look back and, and think about all the all the last that I've had in the last few months. But yeah, for me, I haven't really had too much time to to sit down and think about it being the last time that I run out in the park. Do you have a favourite memory in the Blues kit? Yeah, there's a lot. Last year, um, watching the boys uh, beat the Lions, that that was definitely up there. But, you know, there's uh, my debut, my 100. Those will be up there as well. Um, Really wish that a championship in the the Blues jersey was um, in one of those memories, but it's not to be. But, you know, uh, every time that I've been able to run out in in the jersey has been special for me. Why do you think that championship never quite happened? What can you put your finger on? Oh, I don't know. It's a bit hard looking back through all the years and um, you know, to be able to pinpoint uh, areas. But you know, for me, it's not through lack of trying. You know, the, everyone within our club you know, really work hard to, to be able to get it up there but get the results. But I guess it's just down to the 15 on the field to be able to... Um, get consistent performances through um, but where I'm at at the moment we can focus on the present I look at the future of this club and it looks really bright and, um, and we've got some good structures in place for, um, you know, for the younger guys and the next generation to be able to take this club to where it should be and um, you know, I'm quite confident that that championship's not too far away Jerome, you talk about Eden Park, a ground you played for the final time this week, but you won the World Cup there and had some, some special memories, just, I guess, what it's been like to, to play at that ground for 15 years or so. Yeah, growing up and uh, being a huge Blues fan and um, you know, always wanting to play for the Blues, it's, yeah, I've always been quite lucky to be able to um, call Eden Park my home and to be able to run out all these years. Um, yeah, like I said earlier, it's I haven't really given it too much thought about it being the last time I run out. Maybe later on when I hang the boots up and, and reflect, um, I'll be able to realise the magnitude of uh, how lucky I was. But um, 
Yeah, big thing for me is to be able to make sure that this uh, this game this weekend's a big one and uh, make sure that I perform well for the boys and and try and get a result. Um, that'll make reflection later on a lot better if we get the result. Who are the players you've enjoyed playing alongside the most over the last couple of years? Oh, there's so many. Um, there's been a few freaks that I've played with, like uh, Rupini Daldo, um, Joe Rocks, uh, Carlos, um, but also just recently, you know, Rico, other yeah, uh, Joanne boys, uh, playing a lot alongside them. It's, yeah, I can go on and on about the players that I've been um, lucky enough to play with, and, and um, yeah, so. I've enjoyed playing with the, a lot of the guys, but yeah, just to name a few, those guys that I, I mentioned, it's yeah, I've been quite lucky to be able to be in this jersey for so long and to be played with, uh, to to play with so many uh, gifted guys. Jerome, right, have you thought, I know you got a French contract uh, first, but have you thought about the future and beyond um, that, beyond playing? Do you do you want to coach, and would you come back and coach at the Bulls? Ooh. Uh, I'd still like to be involved in the game uh, in some capacity. Uh, not too sure um, how much, but yeah, definitely I wouldn't rule out coaching, but uh, she's a bit tough trying to coach my sons under 16 at the moment. It's like herding stray cats. So going off that, I'm, I'm not going too well, but yeah, i never say never. I'd love to be involved in the in the game somehow because it's... Um, you know, the game's given me so much and uh, given me so many so many opportunities. So, if I can give back in that way, um, I'd love to. The Nelson cyclist George Bennett says he'll keep an interested eye on the Tour de France, but won't be going out of his way to watch it every day. Bennett isn't riding the world's biggest race this year, with his focus with his Dutch Lotto NL Jumbo team, the other two Grand Tours, the Giro d'Italia and the Volta Espana. Bennett finished 8th in Italy at the end of May, the best ever result by a New Zealander in a Grand Tour. Bennett told Barry Guy it's probably just as well he won't be lining up in France next week, as he's still recovering from the Giro. Relative to, to what I was a few weeks ago, I think I'm starting to come right. I didn't come out of the Giro well. I had two weeks off the bike and or just really easy and still felt pretty average for a while. And it's, it's been about a month now and I'm, you know, I've just come back up to the mountains, back up at altitude and starting to think about getting serious again. But yeah, it, it's a strange feeling. I was definitely running pretty on empty there for, for a few weeks and the body count's been pretty high from the Giro. I mean, a lot of guys that were thinking about doing the double had to pull out and I think just the state of how hard the race this year was has just left everyone in a pretty bad way, so I guess I can't complain too much. This is the plan, obviously, but um, from what you've said, there's no way that you know many riders could do all three in a year. No, no, not not guys that ride for the general classification, not guys that have to race all day every day, and you know can't have an off day and pick their stages. So I think, like you know, before this, I was kind of hoping that. You know, at the start of the year, I was thinking maybe it's a possibility to do the Giro and the Tour, and teams sort of wrote it off. And but I kind of in the back of my mind, I was thinking about it. But a week after the Giro, I thought there's just absolutely no way that I could back up and, and ride the Tour. And uh, already thinking it's a touch and go to, to make it back in time for the Vuelta. But I think I'll be, I think I'll be all good for that. 
Yeah, well, I was just going to say about that. That's your focus now? Yeah, I'm really taking it easy. Like I said, a couple of weeks off the bike, another couple of weeks just, just riding around for fun, doing a bit of mountain biking and, and just sort of trying to live a bit more of a wholesome lifestyle. I mean, after living like a bit of a monk for six months leading into the Giro, you two weeks off, you you know, you go do all those things that you couldn't do and you, you know, you eat lots, you drink lots, you do all, you know, you, all those, all the vices and it's probably not the, the best recovery for your body, but it's pretty good for the head and pretty needed and, and then you also need to get back to just that sort of wholesome lifestyle but still taking over on the bike and still enjoying it and taking it relaxed and, and now we've come up to Andorra again and, and sort of turned a bit of focus on. And a part of that relax perhaps is watching some football but also what's it going to be like watching the Tour de France? Yeah, that's I think that's going to be harder. You know, I've been watching a lot of, you know, I've been going to the pub and watching the All Blacks games and a bit of State of Origin and, and of course, a bit of the World Cup. You know, where I am at the moment in Andorra, actually, there's a lot of guys come here with, uh, you know, Jack Bowers here, and he's doing the final preparations for the Tour de France, and a lot of other guys here about to do the Tour de France, and I'd actually be quite happy when they just bugger off and I don't get caught up in that, uh, you know, seeing them really doing the fine-tuning. And I think for sure I'll, I'll watch it because I'm you know, a big cycling fan myself, and, you know, I love watching the Tour de France. It's one of the most exciting sporting events in the world, but, yeah, there's definitely... You know, seeing all the hype come out around it and and everything, and, and being on the sidelines, it made me realise that I, you know, I definitely don't want to miss the tour again in the future. And but at the moment, it's the right decision. So, what next year? Perhaps you'd like a, a different plan? You know, schedule. Yep, I mean that's that's kind of the plan anyway. That, that this year was to do the Giro and the Vuelta, and and on you know sort of on route tour in, in 2019. It's part of the plan, and and it's also made me realise that. That's really where I where I want to be, and and uh, but I'm pretty excited for the Kiwis that are going. I, I know that Jack and Dion are confirmed, and I, I think we we'll, should get two more guys in there as well. So uh, uh, New Zealand's pretty well represented anyway, um, and I think they'll do a pretty good job. Next week on Extra Time, George Bennett will give us his thoughts on the 2018 Tour de France. The New Zealand sailor Blair Tuke is going to take a well-earned break from the sport after completing the gruelling Volvo Ocean Race. Tuke was one of nine New Zealand sailors taking part. His Olympic and America's Cup teammate Peter Burling was also involved. Daryl Whistling and Stu Bannatyne were on board the winning Dong Fong entry from China. Tuke spoke to Barry Guy after the 45,000 nautical mile slog. Yeah, it's certainly been a, a heck of a journey of a... You know, I have I have loved it. It's been um, it's been great, and you know, obviously, once the disappointment of uh, not coming through with the end result, you know, once that wears off, I think, you know, re- reflecting on it, it has been a, a great uh, journey. I've learned a lot. Um, you know, a lot of sailing skills, a lot of life skills, I think, and you know, push the body like we've never pushed it before. Uh, this endurance factor, so yeah, it has been a, a great experience. You must be exhausted. Uh, you can see how dangerous it is, obviously, for the incident that happened during the race. What has this ocean race been been like for you? Yeah, just so many different different experiences. You know, sailing around the world through some of the most volatile conditions. You know, down the Southern Ocean, and then the you know stark contrast up through the doldrums. You know, places like um, Solomon Islands. You know, off there, there's just no wind for days and you know, seeing how powerful some of the clouds are around there and then, you know, a lot of the 
uh, wildlife you see and all you know all of that's very very cool and then you know that's even besides the, the racing and you know how, how competitive it is so it's um yeah it really is a, a great race and you know obviously it'd be much better right now if we had held that trophy up but um i guess it wasn't wasn't quite meant to be this time would you do another one yeah i, I think i would i um you know i've loved this experience and uh you know i'd I'd like to do it again. I'd like to do it uh, for a New Zealand, New Zealand-based team. I think it'd be great to have a Kiwi boat in the race again. So I think that's you know what I work towards. It's a bit disappointing that you know there wasn't a New Zealand entry. It'd be it'd be nice to have that. But uh, you know I suppose New Zealand's involved in a lot of other things at the moment in sailing. Yeah, they are, and you know there's a lot of Kiwis on the boats here. There's a couple of Kiwis on the boat that that one, um, Daryl and Stu. So and then there's probably nine nine of us in total. I think so. Yeah, there's plenty of Kiwis in offshore racing. Kiwis are known for it from Peter Blake, Daltz, you know, Mike Sanderson. There's plenty of history um, from Kiwi sailors. So, um, you know, I think it would be it'd be great to try and carry that on into the future and get a Kiwi flag boat back in the race. So what happens to you now? Of course, you know, the America's Cup is a, is a little ways off. Do you get the chance to get back into this, uh, you know, the Olympic class at all? Yeah, a bit of time off to start with would be nice. But then, you know, Pete and I will reassess. We've always said we'd like to do the Olympics again, but I think we have to wait until, uh, you know, we've taken a bit of time off after this and just fully um, assess where we're at and, and make some plans. It's no no small task to try and take on another Olympic campaign. We're only too aware of that, and, uh, you know, not, we want to make sure we do it right if we do it. So we'll, we'll sort that out over the next couple of months. And then, yeah, obviously the America's Cup's there as well, so... Yeah, there's plenty going on, but a bit of time off first and uh, foremost would be great. So when you have time off, do you stay away from the sea or the beaches or something else? You stick to inland sort of ventures, do you? Uh, not really at all, actually. I favourite hobby for me is surfing and spearfishing, so um, bro's quite involved with the, <laughs> the ocean. That was Kiwi sailor Blair Tuke speaking to Barry Guy. And that's extra time for another week. Your feedback on this week's podcast is welcomed. And you can provide that via email at sport at radionz.co.nz or you can contact us on Twitter through our username at RNZ Sport. I'm Clay Wilson, thanks for listening and have a great weekend. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So... Talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.